0: Welcome to the Money Maven Project Podcast. If you're here to learn how to obtain freedom over your time and money through real estate investing, you're in the right place. Create the life you want by living with intention and becoming a maven in mindset, money and real estate. Now, here's your host, Justin Monk. Justin Monk here with the Money Maven Project Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm super excited about our guest tonight, Bradley Labrie. Um, It's going to be awesome. I think uh, the strategy we're going to talk about tonight has the power to change a lot of lives and get people into real estate. So Bradley is from House Hacking Success, is a multi-million dollar producer uh, for Remax as an agent, uh, a multi-family investor, and a financial independence Retire early advocate. So love that, man. Love that. Uh, Tell us more about. um, Tell us more about where you got started in real estate, and kind of that trans and how you made that transition.
1: Yes. So uh, first of all, I appreciate you bringing me on. You uh, you have a lot of persistence. I really appreciate that. It it took a little bit for us to coordinate this uh, with my schedule right now, but uh, I do appreciate it. And uh, so yeah, I again appreciate being on the show. Let's back up kind of all the way to the beginning um, so people get a little bit of a, a feeling for me, and we'll jump to the end and we'll uh, then dive into kind of some of the deals. But uh, I dropped out of college. Um, I, was a, uh, I went to play football in college and um, it was fun, but it just, I, I was never meant for college itself. So I dropped out, moved home. Began working as a construction laborer. So, uh, for those unfamiliar, you know you generally don't make a ton of money uh, in that industry. But I was uh, committed to three things. I was committed to working harder than anybody. Uh, I was always pretty good at saving money and always had uh, an eye for entrepreneurial ideas. I was never very good at making money, but uh, I I actually tried to flip cards at one point. uh, You know, uh, baseball and and football cards, you know, things like that. I was just always willing to uh, try and make a buck, even when I was younger growing up. So, um, you know, a little bit of a background, then jumping forward to now, you know, now, of course, uh, being an agent and uh, being in house hacking, uh, buying multifamilies, I had flipped properties for a while. Um, So, I have a little bit of a verse in real estate, but I really have sort of embraced uh, the idea that anyone from anywhere can make this journey. And, like you and I talked about before the podcast, the barrier to entry to buying multifamily or rental properties is extremely high. And house hacking allows you to literally cut that into, you know, a decimal point um, of what it would generally cost. So, for instance, a hundred thousand dollar property, uh, you know, as a as a real estate investment, might cost you twenty five or thirty thousand dollars out of pocket. That's a lot of money, and that's a high barrier to entry. Uh, but as a house hacker, hundred thousand dollars could literally cost you nothing to maybe five or you know six or seven thousand dollars out of pocket, and you live for free. So. That's why I'm a huge advocate of it. And it's allowed me and my wife to grow a portfolio uh, when we didn't necessarily have a ton of money out of pocket. And now, because we live for free, uh, it's, we've, able, we've been able to you know, accumulate wealth, uh, accumulate uh, our savings, and uh, really start to uh, work towards retiring early uh, and the things that that provides. That's awesome,
0: that's awesome. Um... For free, just making some notes here. So that's pretty cool. So yeah, you jump in, um, you you, you kind of see this. You, so where? How did you kind of get keyed into real estate being an opportunity? It sounds like you got into flipping initially. What kind of started that ball? What 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 pushed you into that? I mean, I know your entrepreneurship mindset, but where did it kind of catch on that that real estate might be a thing?
1: I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I was in the construction industry, and so I guess I working on houses. Probably, you know, turned me on to it. Yeah. Um. But I bought a uh, low entry kind of rental property, and uh, it had been broken into before I bought it, and you know everything been gutted out basically. Yeah. Um. So I, I redid a lot, um, plumbing, electrical, out of the bathroom, you know, things like that. Kind of renovated this place, um, and put a decent amount of money into it. And uh, long story short, tenant had gotten murdered. Uh, In the property, and it was just it it was a huge ordeal. And I'm a 20 year old um, doing this, and um, so I end up just losing the property. I just sent it back, so I lost everything that I had saved for for a couple years, um, just kind of overnight. And uh, you know, I I suppose for some it would have been devastating, um, but I never really had that mindset. I guess I internalized it as like I needed to get better as a real estate investor because I didn't really know what I was doing, Um, and so that allowed me to just say, all right, let's you know put her. Nose back to the grindstone and get back on top of it. So, uh, I worked my tail off for uh, for a while after that. I worked my way up in the company, the construction company. I began doing. uh, I was fortunate; the company I worked for only liked to work five days, uh, and I had begun running his company. So the additional days, you know, Saturday and Sunday on a weekend, I'd begin doing side jobs. Um, And so I did that for you know a couple years straight. Almost I worked almost every weekend, um, and then my main job. And I'd saved up an additional money. To then begin flipping properties, so, uh, so yeah, I flipped some properties. I partnered um, on some flips as well, and and I just began to accumulate money. But once we begin to get into uh, 2018, uh, it, it, the margins are starting to get a lot slimmer. I wasn't an agent yet, so I had you know you were still paying the six percent and things of that nature. Uh, and so you needed to get you need to be really good. You need to have really good systems. You need to be able to acquire properties well below market value. You need to have a team in there get it done quickly. I was doing a lot of the grunt work, I'd hire out the, you know, the, the plumbing, electrical and things like that. But I was still doing a lot of work. So it took me a little bit longer. Um, and I just I didn't like the margins getting so slim. And I knew there was a better way. Uh, and that's when I was turned on to sort of the burr house hacking method where yeah. uh, you could still renovate a property, you could still force appreciated property and, and add those margins. But You just didn't have to pay capital gains tax, which for somebody that's unfamiliar with it, it's over 20%. Uh, of your, you know, whatever you earned, you're going to pay yeah. in taxes on that. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that, that hurts. And, yeah. uh, and I had done that a few times and, and you kind of, after you take that out and you start to calculate the hours you got involved and things like that, I'm like, man, I could have just worked some more overtime, you know, for it. And even though it was a cool opportunity flipping, you, you just got to get really good at it. So, um, so that's why I, I liked the Burr house hacking method, uh, because, you know, it's very tax advantageous. Um, of course, all that capital investment you put into the property, you get to depreciate over the course of a certain amount of time, which lowers your taxable income. Uh, there's just a lot of benefits once you get with a tax professional um, from doing that.
0: Yeah, exactly. So let's, um, let's pause for just a second and let's break down like for somebody that maybe doesn't know what house hacking is and how it's different from other uh, strategies um, and the Burr method and stuff. Let's maybe walk through kind of an example deal, a deal that you've recently done. That's a good deal. Let's kind of walk through this scenario and kind of point out the, the different steps of how you, how someone would house hack and and benefit from it.
1: Yeah. So uh, as a real estate agent, I work with a lot of house hackers now. And um, so we'll do, we'll go with a deal maybe that I just got done doing uh, for a client we can go into some of mine as well. Um, but like I talked about earlier buying a hundred thousand dollar house, if that's even possible in your market, you know, it's, it's all dependent, but you're talking about, you know, 25 to $30,000. that you're going to have to bring out of pocket uh, right. just to close on that property. Um, and that's not including maybe reserves and stuff that you would like to have as well. And so, um, but as a house hacker, all house hacking really means is that it's your primary residence. Yeah. Um, and so you're, you're buying a property, you're using it as your primary residence. It could be a single family house, it could be a multifamily house. And generally the point is, is we're trying to cover your mortgage. So no matter what that looks like in your market, and every market is a little bit different, we're attempting to get you in there and cover as much as your mortgage as possible so that you have, you minimize your, your housing payment because the average American pays from 30 to 35% of their budget in housing. And that's a considerable amount of money. And so uh, if you look at some of the charts on like financial independence websites and things like that about savings rate, and we can go down that bunny hole as well, but savings rates, probably the greatest tool to know if you're going to be able to retire early or retire financially, financially independent. That's the greatest tool. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to increase that savings rate for you. Right. And so if we get into a property and we eliminate that housing expense, there's 30%. That you're saving right there, yeah, right. And and uh, some of the gurus like Dave Ramsey, which I'm a fan of. I've read almost all of his books. He talks a lot about like, for instance, you know, saving on coffee expense. And I got a you know coffee right here, yeah. uh, and and that's fine, you know, and, and that's fantastic, um, and that's what I grew up doing. I was saving all this money. I was you know driving beat cars, and I think that's fantastic. I think it's important and stuff, but calculating your coffee expense every day over the course of 365 days isn't a dramatic amount of money. You know, it might be seven, eight, nine hundred dollars depending on you know what kind of coffee you get and all that. And that, that's a considerable amount of money. But if you calculate the 30% you're paying in housing over the course of, of 12 months, now you're talking several thousand dollars, right? And uh, I read this incredible book that changed my entire mindset on it. It was the same type of thing. But it was it was changing your perspective from uh, fixed expenses to, uh, from your variable expenses, I should say, like coffee and things that we control to your fixed expenses. Yeah. How can you lower the quote unquote fixed expenses? Yeah. Uh, and that is what housing uh, house hacking allows you to do is eliminate that. So it's your primary residence. It allows you to go maybe a 0% down loan. Um, there are quite a few of those to maybe a 3.5% down, which is FHA or a 3% down or 5% down, which conventional allows you to do. Yeah. and at that point you are saving considerably from the 20 or 25% that a traditional investor is going to have to put down on that same house. And so that barrier to entry is what I think is the greatest key to house hacking. Yeah.
0: Cause you're, you're going to be able to out compete and out buy somebody that's got to come up with a 30% down payment or or whatever it is, or uh, oftentimes investors are buying with cash. So yeah, because they can't, you know, they're, they're to avoid that. So with house hacking, you're able to go in, whether it's a USDA loan, FHA loan, whatever, because it's your primary residence, you have different loan products available to you which allow for that lower down payment, which is the, which blows away one of the main, you know, um, barriers to entry for new real estate investors. Where am I going to come up with 30 or $60,000? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause that could make, that could take four or five years for some people to save up. So yeah. yeah and, now,
1: and to yeah. that point, um, our goal generally, I tell people all the time the ROI of house hacking is that 30% you save. I mean, that that is the ROI, right? There are additional things that we're looking for as well. Uh, but that's the number one thing. And so, like you said, you can actually pay more than what a traditional investor is, and it's yeah. still even it might be even a better deal for you, right? Because yeah. we're saving the 30%. Right. Maybe if you get in good markets, you're, you're talking about appreciation. You get to depreciate, which, uh, you know, we won't go into weeds on some of that stuff, um, but you get the loan pay down from your tenants paying off your mortgage, yep. right? They're, you know, you get the rental income, um, things of this nature. And so you can pay that. And as long as it's a structurally sound house, right? And we, we're going to do an inspection on it and we're going to make sure that there's nothing catastrophic that's going to come up that you're going to spend, you know, thousands of dollars on. Um, but you can overpay. And if you live for free, you win. Yeah. And so that's the ROI of it. Uh, and where an investor, when you're putting out, like you said, $60,000, this happens all the time. I work with investors and they're, you know, they put out this kind of money. You have to have an immediate return, yeah, right? Like if you're putting $60,000 out, you gotta have an immediate return. You gotta have a plan to action. You gotta have a way that this money's coming back to you in you know, five or 10 years. Um, and whereas a, as a house hacker, yes, we're, we're a little bit geared towards that, but our money's coming back to us like that because we're saving all that money. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. uh it, it's it's totally different. The barrier entry is lower. Um and so yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of it, obviously.
0: Yeah. No, that's so cool. And and I that's such a good point because you know, the traditional investor that's gonna buy and hold, they're looking for a cash flow. They're looking for, you know, their mortgage is a thousand dollars and expenses and everything, and they're renting it for twelve hundred bucks and they got two hundred dollars of cash flow. But a house hacker their whole thing is not having to pay a mortgage. So call it, you know, thousand dollars of cash flow, like however you want to look at it, it's money that stays in your pocket rather than going to housing. That is super powerful. Not something that I'd, I had thought of as far as house hacking goes. But uh, cause to me, the house hacking key has always been that lower down payment, but man, that savings on living for free is, it's huge. It's huge. And you so, spread
1: that out over, you know, 10 or, you know, even five years. Uh, and you know, it's just, it's gigantic. And, um, you know, I lo- I read a lot like you do and specifically in the financial independent, you know, um, movement and things of that nature. And a lot of it's on, you know, the variable expenses and what you can do by, you know, saving on your coffee and, you know, not having a car payment or something like that, which, which are also, you know, valuable things and, and things you should consider. Um, but those are, you know, such a small, Percentage when you stack it up against that housing expense, Yeah. right? And uh, I had never thought of it like that, and you know, because not a whole lot of people talk about it. But if you if you just size those two things up and you see the difference, and you're like, and if you think that you can save a ton and and you know get to retirement a lot earlier just by saving on coffee, well, wait till you find out what you can do when you save on housing. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, yeah, I think if people you know internalize it like that a little bit more, it, it sets house hacking apart uh, so much and some of the objections are, you know, people that have families already and things like that. But there, you know, I work with, with people that sort of uh, luxury house, act, so to speak, uh, and where, um, you know, you get into good communities, great places. that are almost like condo situations, right? Yeah. They're side by side, duplex or whatever, but you're, you're in a really nice area. You got a really nice place. You have a solid room. You might even have separate yards and things like that. It's almost just like you have a neighbor. Um, but you own the whole, you know, whole place, uh, and you still save considerably. You still might pay a little bit on your mortgage, um, but you're saving drastically. And instead of paying thirty five percent in housing, you're paying fifteen percent, and that twenty percent difference goes a long way. Yeah, yeah,
0: perfect. So once you're into a property, you know, you so you you're you're gonna live in it. You move in. Say it's a I don't know maybe it's a fourplex or something. I don't know what your most common one is, but. Say it's a fourplex. You live into you live in one unit. You rent the other three out. You're cash flowing. You're living for free. Um, you. What's the next step? There are you usually living in it for a year and then moving out to buy another one, or are you? And when it? And and is there a point where you do kind of the Burr method where you're cashing out, do a cash out refinance, get your capital back to do it into the next property? What's kind of the next steps after you're into a
1: deal? So uh, it's all, per, you know, it's all. Uh, what somebody wants to do. What are their life goals? Um, you know, we talk about my perspective, we talk about someone else's perspective, but at that point it's really up to somebody else. Uh, if they want to live there for a while and then move into a traditional single family, you know, like the majority of people do fantastic, right? Save up all that money for a couple of years, have a two to three to five year game plan, 10 year, whatever it is, and save that difference, put it onto a traditional house, let the, you know, two or four unit that you were living in pay for your new house. Right. So, so there's, there's one strategy. Um, and so maybe you did, maybe you did force appreciate the property and you have that equity. Well, you can have, you know, 30 or 40% equity in the property, or you can take, you know, the 10 to 20 out and use that as a, uh, you know, down payment for the next place. Um, or you might just feel more comfortable having 40% equity in a place and that's perfectly fine. Your cash flow is going to be larger. It's all situational. It's all up to someone else. For me, um, I study, I study people, you know, what, step are you on in life? Like, where are you at? And there are a lot of great books that are not really related to uh, finances in regards to this. But I think it's very important to figure out where you're at. And for me, it was an accumulation stage. And so uh, for me, I pulled out everything I could to then take that and begin to accumulate, you know, as quickly and fast as possible. Um, And then at some point, my wife and I identified the fact that we're probably going to reevaluate and begin to try to get larger spreads and try to, uh, get into a stage where we are preserving. Right. So not only growth, now we're trying to preserve, uh, and and make it a, you know, 50 year game plan. And so we, we always have that in the mindset. We're always trying to do 50 years. Uh, and I love what Warren Buffett talks about, you know, a lot is that, you know, never buy something that you wouldn't hold for life. Uh, and so that's what we we have in the back of my mind when we purchase property. But, uh, it's really situational. It's up to whatever somebody wants. And uh, I don't think there are bad options. As long as you have a clear game plan, you have a clear reasoning why you want to do it and you execute on it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So when you're shopping for deals, when you're looking for deals, are you, um, are you shopping, or looking for a similar property to somebody that's looking for like a single family that they can burr or a, a flip where you, you need to get it for 70% of ARV or, you know, whatever the, the, the math is for those equations. Are you looking for those kinds of deals or can you buy something, you know, whatever retail price and you three and a half percent or zero in and you, you go for it. Like, is there, do you have to buy at a discount? I guess is my question.
1: Uh, so as a traditional investor, absolutely. I work with traditional investors and, you know, right now in this market, they're like, man, you know, we can't find anything. Yeah. Uh, cause we got to hit, you know, 60 or 70%, like you said. Yeah. And so they're making all these offers, cash offers, and they're getting beat out. And, uh, so they're sitting on the sideline where as a house hacker, um, you know, you can come in there at, you know, close to a hundred percent and it'd still be a really good deal yeah. because again, appreciation, if you get in, in really good markets, you know, there are some markets that I work in, uh, where in 2008, nine, 10, and 11, those markets barely got touched. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're obviously the whole, you know, the whole country got touched, but like they didn't they weren't catastrophic like other areas. Right. And so you get in these really good markets to where, you know, it, they don't get touched as much as, as other markets. And so, uh, I, I work with house hackers to get in these markets, you know, yeah, they pay, you know, the premium to buy in there. Uh, and they're not, got buying them at 70%. That's for sure. They might be buying them at, you know, 92% or something like yeah. that, but they move in, they, it pays for their mortgage. The property appreciates over time. The tenants pay down their mortgage over time. They get tax benefits. Uh, they get, you know, once they move out The the, the greatest thing about it is that if you buy in a house hack and you basically live for free in a two or three or four unit. So uh, house hacking can only be a one unit to four unit by the right. way, because it has to be right. a residential property yeah. if you're going to get the uh, low down payment. So, um, you know, if you're getting there and and you're only paying a hundred bucks or or you're breaking even, the best thing about that, without even doing any logical math, is that when you move out, you're gonna cash flow. Yeah. You know, different. and so so if your whole goal is to get in there and basically live for free, uh, I think that's why it's so it can be so simple because a lot of people get you know, analysis by paralysis with all these numbers and they're fantastic. And I work with you mm-hmm. know myself and investors that that run these numbers and stuff, but. If you literally just focus on trying to live for free in a house hack, can you find a place where you you know you're the person that uh, inspects the property says that you know uh, everything's foundationally good and things of that nature, well, when you move out, you're going to cash flow. Yeah, and that's just a matter of fact. Uh, you know, especially if you know what your unit's going to rent for and all those sorts of things. So, yeah. if you can do that and you can get into a place and you know you're going to cash flow when you leave, it's really tough to to lose in that situation. Um, and you know you learn on the job. It's like, you know, it's like land learning on training wheels cause you're right next to the people. Uh, you generally take better you know care of the property. Uh, people around you appreciate that your tenants appreciate that. Um, and so I, I'm just a huge, huge fan of it. Yep. And, and then when you move out, you know, you can choose to have property management on it uh, and things like that if you don't want to long-term uh, manage it. And I totally get that. I personally have property management as well. Um, so, so I, just a lot of benefits, I think, to house hacking. Yeah, it's it's
0: no matter how, no matter which way we look at it, there's there's a there's a, there's benefits to it. It's freaking awesome. We I mean, when we our first property we house hacked. I mean, I didn't know that's what it was called back then, but we just bought a townhome, so it was just a single unit, bought a town home, lived in it for a couple of years, and then we moved out and rented it. It's not exactly the same, mm-hmm. but in theory, right? Mm-hmm. That's what that's what we were doing because we were able to get in, um Uh, I think it was at the time we bought USDA, like had no money. This was like 2008. So they were like Mm -hmm. out of money. So we had an FHA loan for three and a half percent. Plus we got the kickback from the federal government for new, new, new home buyers. So that was Mm -hmm. like four grand or eight grand or something. So that covered our, our down payment, which was really cool. But I, and I knowing what I know now, and this is what I tell everybody. That's like, you know, younger, maybe obviously not with four or five kids kind of a thing younger, newly married, maybe one kid. I'm like, house hack. House hack a fourplex if you can. Um, and because I think there's so much power, just like we've been talking, there's so much value in in living for free. So avoiding that cost, that saves you 30%. You can potentially cash flow on the deal right away or after you move out. And then you've got the the normal real estate benefits. You've got the equity growth, you've got the loan pay down. So dang powerful. Such a great way and an easy easier,
1: inexpensive way for somebody to get started. I think it's phenomenal. And, uh, and, and they're like, to your point, uh, I actually know quite a few people that during that time, uh, that time period had down payment assistance, uh, essentially is what that was during the yeah. Obama administration that helped out. But there are also currently a lot of programs like that, that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. Um, so, I was working with somebody that was going to use the uh, FHA 203k loan, which for people that are unfamiliar, is just a renovation loan. Uh, I personally use it. I think it's fantastic. Um, But here in the state of Michigan, we have what's called Mishta, and, and every, uh, generally every state has a similar program. Um, But for instance, if you qualify, uh, they will, it's down payment assistance, right? So for a, you know, I think the the property was like $200,000, or something like that. So, you know, that's about $7,000 for a down payment, um, roughly. And so Mishta will cover that $7,000 down payment. Um, And so essentially, all it is is a small payment added on to your FHA loan, you pay that off over, you know, 30 years. So there are a lot of programs that'll help you, and then uh, of course, VA for for our veterans is incredible yep. for zero percent down. You talked about USDA, which mm-hmm. isn't as rural as people think. Um, you know, here in Metro Detroit, there are a lot of areas within Metro Detroit, within a you know a driving distance to Metro Detroit, where you could literally yeah. work in uh, Detroit and get a zero percent down rural development loan, uh, yeah. which is USDA. Um, and and, that's and a lot of, it-
0: most people think you got to be like out in the sticks to get the USDA yeah. loan, but it can be it can be right downtown sometimes. So yeah. yeah. That's
1: awesome. it, yeah, and, and we've interviewed on our podcast, somebody did it in essentially Boston. So, um, you know, there are a lot of, uh, areas and you can go right on USDA, uh, their map, um, and, and plug in the address and it'll say yes or no, whether or not, um, yeah. you know, it, it's eligible for it. And of course, if you get with an agent or a lender, um, they of course will be able to do the exact same thing for you. So, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And there are a lot of programs out there. Um, and you know, getting with the right team, but again, getting with the right team is, 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 uh, fantastic. And literally the only reason I decided to become an agent was because I couldn't find a mediocre agent. I just, you know, all the agents I worked with were just, they they just, you know, really pissed me off. And so, um, you know, but, but finding good people, there are great resources like bigger pockets. Now you can go on there Mm -hmm. and, and just type in the search, you know, your area and realtor, and you'll find, you know, somebody, and and, and then on their profile, generally, you'll say whatever, you know, people put on whatever uh, properties they've done, so you can find somebody that owns rental properties that that happens to be a realtor in your area, uh, and you find somebody that's going to know what it's going to take to be, you know, do what you want to do, uh, which I think is fantastic.
0: That's perfect. Yeah. So, so somebody that's somebody that's just getting started um they decide they hear this they hear your podcast they learn about it like okay i want it i want a pod i want to i want a house hack what's like the first two or three steps that you're going to tell them to? where where should they start the first maybe three steps as far as
1: going for uh their first house hack project so uh i suppose first and foremost there has to be a little bit of of um you have to have some discipline, you know, personal discipline. So we have to look at your personal finances first, right? You no, know, You're not going to be able to get a loan if you don't have uh, meet certain requirements. Um, it's probably not a fantastic idea if you're not a little bit self-disciplined to be buying property in the first place. So let, let's first look at maybe our own um, finances. And I think people like Dave Ramsey are fantastic. Uh, Set for life for Scott Trench was, uh, I didn't actually mention the book, but that was the one that literally change my perspective on variable versus fixed expenses. So anyone that is listening, I think should look, listen to set for life, but yeah. reading books like that, um, I think is the absolute start, right? Uh, you know, I see like 10 X rule and Grant Cardone, you know, and fantastic Robert Kiyosaki and a lot of people uh, might disagree, but I think when you're starting out, you have to have a level of, of, uh, personal discipline when it comes to finances and then number two, hundred percent. right? And, uh, I think it's, it's so incredible important to, um, find a good lender and a good real estate agent. And then of course, eventually you're going to want a CPA and things like that. And maybe they can plug in. Uh, and another thing to consider is rock stars always hang with rock stars. So if you find one really good team member, they are almost always going to plug you in with other great team members. Cause one thing I know is that people that are really, really good at their job do not like working with people that are very mediocre at their job. And, uh, I, I can say that from personal experience, from like looking at other rock stars, I can say from my perspective, you know, nothing, infuriates me like working with a mediocre lender. So, uh, you know, so finding somebody that I think an agent, real estate agent, and I know I'm a little biased, but I think finding a somebody, uh, a investor friendly real estate agent that is actually invested, not just that works with investors, uh, but actually has properties themselves is the biggest key because they will be able to see everything from a, you know, a bird's eye view. There's so many things that go into a deal, so many things that could go wrong. And my job as a realtor is to make sure that none of them go, you know, yeah. go wrong. And so I'm always uh, preparing for those reg- regardless of my client has any idea it's coming. So finding somebody like that is just just huge because they'll plug you in with uh, good inspectors, a good lender. Um, they'll, they'll write a good contract for you, uh, potentially on deals that need a little bit of work. There's things like seller concessions, which uh, help pay for your closing costs, right? There's just a lot of things that somebody that knows what a investor needs and wants will be able to help you with. Um, So a team is an important, I think real estate agent that is investor friendly that actually has their own investments is just the key and something that I never did when I was, you know, buying all these properties. I just worked with, you know, whoever, Uh, I don't even know how I necessarily found these people just, you know, happened to start working with them. Um, And I never really did find good team members because they just plugged me in with, you know, whoever they used and none of them really invested um necessarily and so they didn't really understand what I needed. Um and so working with and then the second one is lenders. Um lenders that are actually investors are just gold because um you know I'm going to tell you right now I did a 203k loan and it was a mini nightmare only because no one knew what they were doing. Uh you know and so now in retrospect, working with other clients and, and referring them to lenders that are investors that, that do this. And there's an incredible site uh, that will literally tell you every, the top lenders in your uh, state for two or three K loans. So, um, yeah, I don't have the, we, I'll actually send it to you. You can yeah. put it in the show notes if you want, but yeah. there's a site you can go on there and you plug in the state of Michigan and it'll list every single, um, you know, loan officer and the and the company that do 203ks, how many they've done this year, uh, and so I think that's a fantastic resource where you can, you know, if you want to do a loan, a specific loan, especially a renovation loan, you don't want to do it with just you know the person down the street at the local bank. Not that he's not a good loan officer, but he probably he might not have ever done a 203k loan, uh, and of course they're going to tell you they they have the product, but that's not the same thing. And so going with the person that done the most amount of that loan is just going to expediate everything. And it's going to save you, a, you know, a ton of just mental, uh, you know, you're not going to have many panic attacks. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so, um, cause there's just a lot to the loan, but I think it's a fantastic loan product, uh, yeah. if you find the right people. So team members is, is the second one. Um, first self-discipline, uh, and then, um, third, I suppose is the deal right in the market and, and understanding where you want to be in proximity to your work, um, in proximity to, you know, quality tenants. I think that's, something that maybe isn't it is talked about but you know price price is just that you know the price of a property and especially when you're house hacking especially if you're doing like a zero percent download but i think there's a lot to be said for uh, appreciation and quality of tenant and um and quality of life in some respects when you're doing a house hack because the barrier to entry is so much lower and if you can get in those higher areas those areas you know, by the time you save up twenty or thirty percent, are going to be worth, you know, ten percent more than what it is right now because those areas are where everyone else is going. And so, uh, if you can get into those properties for low down, and you can still almost live for free, I think it's a win-win. Rather than trying to save money on the purchase, just for the sake of saving money on the purchase and having more headache with tenants, uh, having more issues, having less appreciation. Um, when when the economy turns, those are the areas that get hit first. Um, When the economy turn, when when COVID nineteen hits, right, those are the areas that aren't paying rent, um, and and things of that nature. And and um, and something I didn't mention, uh, the property management company that I have, I have partial stake in, and so we we, you know we manage other properties, and so you you can see areas are very dependent on whether or not you're going to get paid in in situations. And of course, no one could have predicted COVID nineteen, and probably no one will predict the next crash, no matter what it stems from. Right. Um, you know, and and not very many people actually predicted 2008. I mean, they they had talked about it, you know, but uh, I digress from that, but it's very important finding good areas. And I think when you're house hacking, when you have that low barrier to entry, I think area is very, very important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that your team, obviously the agent, the lenders, you know, those guys are going to know talking with other property management companies that have managed properties in the area that they're going to be able to tell you, that's a great area. That's not a good area. Those kinds of things. So um, yeah, that's great. Great advice. Those are some strong three steps to get started there. Now, when, so if I house hack a fourplex, I live in one, one unit, I've got three other ones. Um, you're are, at that point, am I usually self managing that property or do you, do you ever see yourself like hiring a property management company, even though you live in one of the units Does that
1: makes sense or. Yeah, it could absolutely make sense. I mean, um, so something that I had to train myself in, and I think a lot of other people do too, is um, there are, I was cheap just for cheap sake for the majority of my life, you know, growing up. And I, and I had to be, because I didn't make a lot of money and, and I was trying to save for all this stuff. Um, but then I, I don't, I think maybe Robert Kiyosaki really, you know, because I read all of his books and, and he's one of my heroes as well. And there are a lot of, you know, great authors out there, but he really trained, um, and I don't even know what book it is or, or where, but he really talked about like, Focusing on, you know, some expenses are not expenses. Some expenses are actually investments, like for instance, books and things of that nature. That was something that was tough for me to just go purchase books just for the sake of purchasing books because it was still nuts nice to me, uh, you know, still money lost, but it really wasn't in retrospect. Um, and so something like that could absolutely not be an expense when you're house hacking if it makes your life way easier. Maybe you have a job that you really like and you need to devote a lot of time to and you don't have time to be, you know, managing small uh, critiques of tenants. Fantastic. Yeah. Higher property manager, uh, maybe it's you know maybe it's ten percent, maybe it's less, maybe it's more uh, of monthly rent. But even if you, uh, for instance, take in three thousand dollars a month from your property, and it's ten percent, that's only three hundred dollars a month for the yeah. peace of mind. Um, you know you don't know what you you know you don't necessarily know what you're doing. Um, so finding a good property management company that's gonna you know manage the property while you spend more time with whatever the family, your job. Yeah. Um, that could very much be, a, you know, a, such a small expense that you pay, and right. maybe you break even from everything else, but you're just paying three hundred dollars a month to the property management. That's not bad at all, right? Compared to spending fifteen hundred dollars a month, uh, you know, on housing, you're only paying three. So, if somebody wanted to do that, uh, absolutely. I didn't. I'm self-managed. I think it was, um, I think it was fantastic for me because it taught me a ton. Uh, I understood what you really need to do, what tenants needed out of me. Um, it taught me that. I, so my, my four unit, I, uh, I actually bought a three unit and I added a fourth unit during the renovation. So it was, mm-hmm. it was a very, very it was the biggest project I've ever taken on. I redid everything, the whole place, gutted everything, redid HVAC, uh, plumbing, electrical, wow. everything. And, um, but I, I over rehabbed. And the reason why I say over rehabbed was because I looked at it from the perspective of, well, if I wanted to live here, like I would want, you know, I wouldn't want this or that you know i wouldn't i want this kind of lifestyle and that kind of lifestyle and that's yeah. great and i'm in a very good market uh and we get really great tenants and we weren't really hurt at all thankfully with with our units with covid because it's a really good uh, yeah. market and a lot of them were uh hospital workers and things of that nature but yeah. um but i over rehab because at the end of the day tenants don't take care of things like you would no as owner right and they don't they don't step back and say, Oh wow, uh, thank God he put $150 into all those door handles, right? Like that's fantastic of him. They don't, they don't really care about that. You could have went to, you know, a rehab, uh, uh, you know, rehab store and got those same $150 handles for uh, $30 and they look almost identical and you just saved $120. And even when you multiply that by, you know, five things per unit by four units, right? And that stuff starts to really, really add up. Yeah. Uh, and so After I had gotten done with it, and after some tenants had not taken care of the place like I would have, I'm like, oh wow, okay. Well, first of all, I don't hold that personally against the tenant because it's not their place, and they paid, you know, a a premium which is rent to live here, and you know they just lived and they didn't, you know, they were counting on me to make any repairs and stuff. So I totally get their perspective. I mean, I wish they would take better, but also it taught me that okay, let's get things that last. First of all, that are you know, as inexpensive as possible, uh, and not cheap, but as inexpensive as possible. And rehab stores are your best friend, because you can go into places, you get hardwood products. Um, Like for instance, one of the things that I think I I made the biggest mistake was buying brand new cabinets for all the units. Uh, You know, I redid all the kitchens and everything. And so basically, in retrospect, what I would have done is went and got hardwood uh, cabinets from rehab stores, which which now I know, and I've done uh, on other units, go there, you can repaint them professionally. Uh, and you can put quality countertops on top of them and they look fantastic and brand new for a fourth the cost, right? And when you multiply that many times, there's just a lot of little critiques um, that you could do to save money. And uh, so in retrospect on my deal, that's what I would have done.
0: Awesome. Man, that's great. That's great advice. So, so talk to us a little bit more about, because um, this is really, this is intriguing to me. Um, your first deal doesn't go very good. It sounds like you lose, you lose what you put into it. Probably with everything that was going on there, it sounded pretty miserable. So how did you, um, a couple things. One, how do you, how did you power through that and keep going to the next deal? Like, how did you not just say, you know what, screw this. I'm not doing this. So how did you, how did you power through and keep going? And number two, how are you, I guess it's kind of the same question, but how did you mentally get okay with that? I mean, it's not a failure, but you know, most people will be like, Hey, yeah, I told you so, you know, that you failed. Mm-hmm. And how did you just wrap your head around that and be okay with that as far as your mindset goes to go on to the next deal?
1: Yeah. So probably about a year ago, I was asked that question for the first time or maybe, you know, two years ago or whatever. I, I was on a podcast. Somebody asked me that, that same thing. And so it was the first time I'd ever really, really thought about it. I mean, I knew that this whole thing happened and whatever, but, uh, and so first of all, I never thought about it. I never really thought of it as a setback. I just thought of it as, you know, well, I'm not a good enough landlord. I'm not a good enough investor. So I just, let's just go get better. So that was, that was first of all, my perspective. But the reason that that was my perspective in retrospect now is because of sports, because of football. Um, so, you know, I grew up there, uh, I had a relatively, uh, challenging childhood, you know, a lot of pain and, and, and situations like that. And so, um, my saving grace from falling into a lot of traps that other people fall into in high school and things like that, and going down challenging roads, was that I was a superior athlete. Yeah. And so um, something that is incredible, and one of the reasons why uh, I'm gearing up to get back into, you know, I want to get into coaching and things like that because I think it's just fantastic for kids. It teaches a lot. But one of the lessons that you take away, specifically in football, and, and baseball too, I, I played a lot of baseball and I was, I was pretty good. Played on really good teams. I had incredible coaches. Uh, is that you're taught that. Every down is is a totally different situation, right? So you you have one play, right? And uh, for instance, if someone's familiar with football, you get you know a, a penalty, uh, ten yard penalty, right, or whatever, and and your coach is ripping your ear off. Well, he he'll rip your ear off for you know for five ten seconds, and then all of a sudden it's immediately the entire team shifts to second down, right? If if let's just say that was the first down situation, yeah. everyone shifts to second down, and we're all on the same team that. Okay, it was first and ten, and we were at the you know eleven yard line. Well, now it's it's second and twenty, uh, or whatever, and we're at the twenty one yard line. No one cares about that previous play at that point. We're all back in the huddle, we all reunite, and we all call a brand new play together unanimously to get to the next uh, you know get to the next play to get back to that first down, right? And it, it's something that you never think about when you're in sports, but it's so powerful thinking about it from that perspective to where the entire eleven you know uh, players out on the field the entire coaching staff and everyone on the sideline all regroups instantaneously for that next down. Yeah. Um. And so that's how, I mean, I, I can't explain anything else. I just, I just got there and I said, all right, well it happened. Uh. You know, me complaining about it, or think about it longer than, you know, those five or 10 seconds of my coach screaming in my ear is not, yeah. Uh. doesn't help me in anything. So pretty much, I mean, I, I feel all the time, like, um. you know, over rehabbing, I had, you know, at the end of it, um, my first, I had my first turnover, they had, you know, on a small scale, somewhat destroyed the place. I'd do, you know, a little bit of work, nothing too crazy. Um, but I had that moment where like, Oh man, like I put all this money in this place and now I got to put more money into it. Um, but it was like a small thing. And I was like, chalk it up as a win because now I learned from that and I'll get better on the next one and let's just move on. Uh, and I can almost hundred percent say that that was related to sports and the fact that as a team, we move on so quickly from failures. Uh, and we don't hold someone accountable for that failure until Monday on, on film day, yeah, which is, which is so cool because yeah. then you all get back together and we all rip each other for uh, the, the individual plays we did wrong. Yeah. yeah. But then by Tuesday we're on to the next game uh, and, and we all forgot about it. Right. Yeah. It's not something we dwell on. We, we obviously take, you know, we, we figure out what we did wrong. We point out plays, we point out people that, that didn't work, but then we unanimously all get together. And so it's so powerful. Sports is such a uh, powerful thing. And there are, there are a lot of other things like that. But I don't really—I can't think of anything where you re- regroup so fast, yeah. Like football, uh, as a as a team, and you get in a huddle. Sense, I yeah. think it's so powerful that everyone comes together. If you're on offense, I suppose. Um, yeah. But that's where it came from for me.
0: No, that's perfect. I love that analogy, and um, and that's super strong because people need to understand that you're you're gonna you're gonna have bumps and bruises in real estate investing. Like it's gonna happen. You're gonna lose some money. You're gonna you're gonna over rehab. You're gonna pick a bad tenant. You're gonna have some issues it's just going to be there. Like it comes with the territory, no matter how good you are. And obviously as you learn, they they, they will become further, you know, few, fewer and farther between, but you're probably also at the same time leveling up into new, uh, into new stuff, maybe larger multifamily. And so you're going to be learning still and still making mistakes. So for somebody that's getting into it, just wrap your head around that right now. Like you're going to have bumps and bruises. You're going to have losses. Um, I lost, I lost money on my first deal. Like just totally, I made stupid mistakes. And now I'm like, wow, because I was in such a hurry and so excited to just get the deal, the first deal under my belt that I didn't go. I went with good enough rather than, uh, you know, uh, um, that I was proud of it or that I was super, super confident in the deal. Um, As I picked investors and things, or excuse me, as I picked a contractor, I didn't do the right due diligence Basically, he ups and leaves me halfway through the project, um, and and I got he had I had paid him too, paid him some probably too much in advance for some windows. Anyway, it was a mess, totally messed it up. And I know what mistakes I made. I've learned a lot from it, and uh, doing better on the subsequent deals. So, and and I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I don't know that I've ever heard any investor, whether they're on their third door or their three hundredth door, say yeah you know what i've never I've never made any mistakes I've never
1: lost any money like you don't hear that you just don't. right and something to that point is that um basically in life people get paid for their ability to embrace and face adversity uh you know across across almost every industry uh specifically in the real estate space um you get paid for your ability to handle adversity and uh, as a real estate agent, something that I didn't appreciate until I became one is that you know especially when you get into multiple deals, I mean, almost every single deal has an element of adversity. Uh, you, you, you really can't get away from it. And when you do find a deal that they go smoothly, you're like, what, what the heck just happened? Uh, you know, did something go wrong? Because something didn't go wrong. Right. Um, and so that's just something that uh, there's a great book called The Obstacle's Way. And it, it basically talks about a similar analogy of as humans, we, we do our very, very best to avoid controversy and Adversity and uh, probably for the better. It's in our human nature. Um, we don't like that. But as an investor, um, your ability to handle and embrace, I think, is the key to uh, going on. And and as from somebody that doesn't like to handle those, uh, that's one of the reasons why. For instance, I got property management um, was because you know I had a lot going on, and you know I don't I don't really like the day to day minute managing, uh, of tenants. It's I'm, I'm, I'm a big picture guy. I, I don't, I'm not very good at like acquisition is something I'm really strong at. I'm really good at the hunt and all of that. But, um, there are other people that are very, very good at, at, you know, getting a plan and making that plan come into fruition over a long period of time. That's not me. I'm not very good at the minute stuff. And so, um, you know, my ability to handle, uh, obstacles is, you know, the hunt aspect of it, like coming up all those obstacles. I don't care. Once you get into, Mm -hmm. once, once everything's behind me and I got to take all those obstacles, those really affect me. It's like, Oh God, now I got to go do this again. Um, so also learning about yourself, figure out what you're good at and then delegating what you're not good at. And I know, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about that, but it is something to where you have to embrace that at some point. If you're not good at property management, fantastic. That's why they're professionals that deal with it. Um, if you're not good at certain aspects of it, fantastic. That's why they're professionals that deal with it. If you're not a hunter and a big picture person, that's why they're, you know, uh, people that wholesale deals or, or agents or whatever, right? Um, and so, uh, embracing that and and getting a good team around you is very important when it when it comes to obstacles and and uh, lasting in this game for a long period of time. Yeah,
0: that's perfect, man. I yeah. So so succeeding in life and becoming you know the best person you can be, you're gonna have to face obstacles and you're gonna have to face resistance. Otherwise, you'll never change. You'll never advance. You'll never progress in in your mindset and your you know, even your physical health all that kind of stuff. I just think that uh we have to step in and I love how you said that I mean, people are paid to handle adversity and difficulty and resistance and solve problems. I think that's 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 gold. And I think that's a huge part of us progressing in life um is uh, uh, facing that adversity, overcoming it. I growing up so I I learned how to ski. I live in Utah so we're we're like this, you know, we're known for our our snow here in Utah. I, I learned how to ski at a younger age. I don't know. I was probably eight or nine years old. And I remember my dad taught me. And so we'd always go together. And I remember being on the lift going up, you know, and my dad would ask me, Oh, how was that run? I'm like, yeah, you know, it was awesome. I didn't, I didn't wreck. I didn't even, I didn't even crash. And I was super proud of that. But then my dad would always be like, well, well you're probably not trying anything new or pushing any limits. Like if you're not crashing, then you're not progressing. I'm not, perfecting my form or you know getting good at moguls or jumps or whatever you know Mm -hmm. um and and that's always stuck with me like okay so it's actually okay to crash and to have it you know to struggle a little bit because that's where you're growing that's when you know you're pushing your limits and and I later I later transitioned to snowboarding um so as a snowboarder same thing you know if I was like nailing every trick as I go through the freestyle park and all that stuff and just stomping it like i'd be like well okay yeah that means i'm not pushing any limits i'm not trying anything new and not uh, not going up against that adversity or that resistance to to progress and that's the lesson's always stuck with me so you're right i think uh you you've got to be ready for that and that adversity and but that's where the val- that's where you add value is overcoming that those obstacles
1: yeah and that's literally what property management gets paid for. That's, that's what, you know, right. real estate agents get paid for. That's what, you know, in the industry, that's what you get paid for is your ability to handle obstacles because uh, it is a very emotional, you know, decision being in real estate and people get a lot invested. And so professionals are there to um, kind of take that stress off of you and make it more of an uh, easy transition for you. And yeah. so if, if something is very stressful or something that you don't enjoy, um, absolutely, you know, learn like i had to that expenses aren't always expenses right like personal expenses can you know generally always be expenses but when it comes to the business you have to separate personal and business expenses and you can go down rabbit holes obviously you know people i know people especially as agents that just pay you know get every you know new coach and new coach and new coach that you know they spend uh, no matter what they make they spend half their their money so there's there's an aspect of that too but there's a lot of it to where um you know you you Find ways to make things easier and more uh, fun, to where you're jumping out of bed to do it. Uh, and I think one of the best ways to do it is delegate what you're not good at. Uh, but it takes time, and you're probably going to have to manage your own properties at first, right? Uh, if you're anything like me, who who didn't start out with money or wasn't given any money, um, it it takes it takes some time. I mean, you got to save up money, you have to do the dirty work, you have to do the the things you hate. Um, but you know, my wife and I, we just turned 27, and Um, you know, we've been, we've been financially independent from the perspective that our rental income has, has paid for our life expenses for a a couple of years, you know, almost two years now. Uh, and so uh, literally everything we make now goes towards, you know, a few different buckets. Um, we've been traveling more and of course COVID has has hindered some of that, but, uh, you know, like we, we just, you, you, it takes a long time. It takes a long time, man. But what I can tell you is that it's worth it. And, uh, it happens faster than you think, especially when you start to think in five or 10 year, um, you know, intervals, because it's so easy, especially being young to only think of, uh, you know, just the next step, because I can tell you right now, man, when I went to college to play football, I never even once, first of all, I didn't even think about graduating. Second of all, I didn't even think of the fact that I could grad, like the fact that life happens after college. Uh, and when I got to college and they asked me my major, I was like, Oh, I don't know, like what should I be? And I, I don't even know what I picked. I think I might've picked business or something, whatever it was. They told me to pick. I just picked it. Uh, like I had no concept of like life after football and college, all this stuff. It just never occurred to me. And, and, you know, many young people are like that. You just, you know, you're not always thinking of the next step. And that's why team members, especially on your first deal, like agents, things like that is so important because, um, we're, you know, they are trained to think of, the end game and, and, and what's next and what's down here. And when you start to hang around these type of people that are really good at their jobs, that are also investors that are going to, you know, kind of teach you the whole scope of things. You start to train yourself to think in, you know, intervals of, of, you know, the next, the next, the next. Uh, one of the things that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me um, as far as like a mindset thing was becoming an agent because you're always, you know, what you do today is always for, you know, like, uh, you know, we sh- I showed some, I'm showing houses this week and, and get some place under contract and all this kind of things working with different things. But, um, these things won't happen until probably August or September, right? Like, like depending on some of them are commercial, some of them are residential. So the timeline's a little bit different, but yeah. you're talking about one or two or three months, uh, intervals that you're, you're thinking of. And so it trains you to think that way. And, uh, house hacking sort of trains you to think in, you know, 12 to 24 to 36 months. Um, and you know, what am I going to do down here? And it's tough because that seems like a really, really long time when you're, you know, 22 and everyone else is partying. But, um, I can tell you my life changed when I decided I wasn't going out to with my friends anymore from work. I wasn't, you know, doing this and I was going to spend all my time reading, learning and, and house hacking. And, uh, it can be challenging, but yeah. you reap, uh, incredible rewards.
0: Yeah. That's, it sounds like it, man. It sounds like you've, you've got to, a uh, A nice financial freedom uh, place in your life which is super cool congratulations man i think that's super inspiring for all the all the listeners out there um so talk to us and we may have covered this in a way already but uh, one of the questions i like to ask is is what do you think is the one thing that separates those that succeed in real estate investing or whatever their journey is and those that don't and, and give up
1: There are a lot of things, obviously, you know, and, uh, I, you know, I hear people's response to this often and it can go in many directions. I really think, um, I really think it's personal discipline to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. you know, um, throughout my whole journey, even when I wasn't making a whole lot of money and stuff, like I I didn't want to get out of bed on the weekends and work my tail off for, you know, in retrospect, very much money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't want to do a lot of those things. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, when my wife met me, I was dri- still driving this beater car and, and all this and, you know, everyone made fun of me. And I was yeah, you know, I, I don't think we've mentioned this, but I work for General Motors. And, and so, uh, you know, and I hold a, a mediocre position there. So I'd be driving in in this old beat up cobalt, you know, and all my bosses or people you know some of the people underneath me you know they got these brand new cars and I'm like, oh man what the hell are you doing driving that thing yeah. uh you know and it didn't feel real good and yeah. uh you know and whatever and um but the discipline to be able to execute on your dreams you know whatever your vision is i think is something that n- not very many people have and a lot of the objections to a lot of things that you talk about and that people in that that you know, run podcasts like we have is, uh, you know, not enough money or um, not enough opportunity out there. But um, from somebody, you know, coming from my perspective, you know, I, I was a laborer and that's why, you know, I begin to kind of embrace that and talk about it a lot more because, you know, I made $12 an hour basically my entire time before I, you know, And then, uh, and then I had gotten into GM and it sounds, you know, super awesome. But like when I got in there, I jumped up from like 12 to 15. Like it wasn't like a dramatic jump and I just kind of worked my tail off and got into other positions, whatever. But um, like you can do it, but it takes a certain level of of self-discipline. And I think the reason why I've embraced house hacking so much is that it just allows you to get there so much faster, Um, but it's probably one of the least sexy things you can do. So, um, you know, no one's going to be, no one from the outside world going to be like, Oh man, your house, hacking, that's awesome. No one's going to say that. They're all going to say, why the hell would you want to have a tenant right next door to you? Yeah. Um, there's so many objections to, to, uh, you know, kind of living your truth and, and, you know, making it ahead, but it's possible. Uh, and if somebody like me can do it, I know, you know, anyone can do it. Um, and I work with people in all walks of life that are, you know, going down a house hacking road right now, whether they live in my state and I'm working with them or they're living in another state. Uh, and I work with people all the time that don't necessarily make a ton of money, uh, aren't necessarily successful by the world standards. You know, people look at them all the time and say, why the hell would you ever want to, you know, buy a duplex and live there? Um, but it's worth it. I see it all the time. I see people succeeding. Uh, and I just want to relay that to other people that, you know, it, it is possible But it is absolutely going to take some sacrifice. It's absolutely going to take um, you, you know, changing your mindset, um, you know, but but it's worth it, too, because my wife and I say it all the time, like, we'd rather, uh, you know, we would rather – have experiences over things, and so we we're constantly mindful of that. And we like to go, you know, we're going, we we got, uh, we went on our honeymoon to this uh, special place, and we're going back there. And so this whole year, we kept, you know, reminding ourselves when when other you know big purchases were up there, and, and even though we probably could buy some of these things, but we're also saving for or for uh, you know other things. And we're just like, man, experiences over things, you know, like let's delay our our gratification on on buying material things. Let's instead go on this this nice trip for you know that you know which takes some saving and stuff. um, That's more important to us. And I think if people start to embrace that, uh, and that's why Step for Life, I think is such an incredible book because it kind of embraces that concept of, listen, there are a lot of things out there we can do. And there are a lot of great things that material things buy. um, But if you want to retire early, if if you aspire for financial independence, it takes some serious discipline because no one else is doing it. And no one else is going to be able to do that, and so you're going to have to, you know, double down on that. In my That's opinion, perfect.
0: Yeah, I love, I love that book, except for Life. That's great. So, um, yeah, personal discipline, which is huge. I mean, personal discipline or discipline is what gets you through the days when you're not feeling motivated. Everybody always focuses on, well, you know, I, I it's got to motivate me. I've got to feel motivated to do anything, but the people that win I believe are the ones that do what's required of them when they're not feeling like it, they're not motivated, they're not jazzed about it. And they push through. They, like you said, they, they deal with adversity, they handle adversity and that's where those rewards are. I love that, man. Um, So a couple of final questions here. Um, What, uh, what is your favorite or most impactful business book that you've read? I think you've mentioned a few of them, but what would, if you had to pick one, what would it be?
1: Yeah. So, uh, separate life is an incredible book. Um, let's see, you know, Robert Kiyosaki's books are, are, have been very, very impactful to me. Um, let's see, business book. I've read a lot of them. I mean, it can really, be, really it can be
0: ones. self-help. It can be anything that's really changed, changed your life.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, so I, I think probably set for life, you know, um, there are a lot of really good books out there, but the mindset shift that I had from going from variable, which is what most people think about when they talk about, you know, uh, frugality and things like that, um, to sort of the fix. And it can be challenging, but, you know, I, uh, growing up in the town that I grew up in, um, you know, all the guys I knew put their identity in, in a truck. Yeah. right and uh and and things of that nature, and you know they're depending on where you're at, people put their identity in all kinds of things, but yeah. uh, where I grew up it was it was trucks, it was you know uh fifth wheels it was, you know going camping like uh, you know things of that nature and so when i was uh when I was twenty twenty one even though I was kind of going on this path, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Like I was just doing it. Um, I, there was no plan. There's no nothing. Some, you know, if, if people got the impression that I had a plan when I was 20 or 21, I didn't, I just, I just knew I wanted to do something out there. Yeah. But while I was doing this, I, you know, I had like three trucks. I bought this fifth wheel, you know, I wanted to go, you know, and, and whatever, all this stuff. And there was just a moment in my life where I was like, man, like I saw the end game of all my friends you know, like, and the people that were maybe 20, you know, in their upper twenties or whatever. And they had, you know, they just kept buying a better truck and, you know, kept buying a better fifth wheel and all these other toys and stuff. And, uh, they never really is, there was just something that I was like, man, that like, doesn't sound that cool. Um, and so I just had a moment. I can't really even explain what it was, but I just, I had, you know, I'd read similar books. I hadn't read this book yet. But I just, uh, I sold everything and I went and bought this Cobalt and I drove it for like six years or whatever, you know, and, and it sucked. And everyone made fun of me because, you know, they, they saw me driving this little beater car or whatever. But that book really showed me that transportation uh, and housing make up over 50% of your budget. And so if you look at like Mr. Money Mustache has uh, an example of, uh, I I I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's just over like 50%. If you save 50% for, uh, I think like eight years, don't quote me, but something like that, you will technically be financially independent, right? Yeah. And so that has no bearing on like rental income, getting money back necessarily. That's just, if you save this much and you invested in traditional um, stock market, you'll essentially be uh, you know independent in, in that amount of years. Well, yeah. um, if you can do those two things for even shorter period of time and you decide to house hack and you, when you move out, you get additional rental income, um, and you don't have a car payment and things of that nature. Like you can just dramatically go forward. And that book anyways, long story short yeah. is the book that really, really, really doubled down on it. And, um, I was a realtor for a while in that dang car and, uh, it really stunk because now all of a sudden, like I'm a professional and I'm supposed to have a certain image, yeah. but that book really solidified that man, I don't really even care. Like I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, and you know, now, uh, my wife and I, my wife finally convinced me. She's like, you need to get rid of that dang thing. So I got a, you know, a new vehicle, whatever, but, but I, uh, I, I don't take pride in it. Like I would have used to, because I don't put my identity in that. And I think, um, you know, there are probably some books. There are a lot of actually books that talk about, you know, identity and, and where we put our identity and things like that. And that's, that's another thing that we also need to embrace at some point in our journey, uh, is really focus on where we're putting our identity in. Cause we all put it in something, uh, and we all, you know, take something very, very seriously. And, and a lot of things are very good to do that way we at least need to you know identify where we are and make sure that that's where we actually want to place it yeah love that man
0: uh, i'm actually i'm gonna i'm gonna have to ask you later um on some of those books i'd love to read some about that the identity thing i haven't read a lot on that that's cool it's a good principle
1: um it's important it, yeah. because you know our uh, our upbringing and the people we associate with you know early in life set the tone for that yeah um you know and um I I grew up on a farm and so, you know, my whole family, you know, kind of, and and every, you know, our whole community, it was trucks. And so I just naturally, you know, I started to make a little bit of money. And so I bought a truck, you know, and and I bought another truck and I bought another, you know, so, um, we do it without even identifying it, you know, and, uh, and it could be anything, you know, no matter where you are in the country, no matter what it is, like everyone places their identity in something. And, and generally that identity, uh, comes out of our pocketbook too. You know, we, 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 we set a certain image, uh, and, and that could be fine setting an image, but we just have to identify that because it's incredibly important. And, um, yeah, that's awesome. Cool, man. All right. Um, a couple of last questions
0: here. Uh, so what, uh, if, when you're not house hacking, you're not working, what are some passions? What are some other things you like to do in your free time?
1: Well, I don't have a whole lot of that. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I I, I Working two jobs keeps me very busy. My wife yeah. and I, um, of course, try to spend a lot of time together. But um, I used to be big into sports. Uh, that was another thing that I put my identity in, obviously. I, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, e- even in my early 20s, uh, when I was doing some of this stuff, I was watching, you know, every sports game, every football game, uh, kept up with all the baseball teams. You know, in my childhood, I could name literally the, the you know, the heights, the weights, the batting average or the, you know, touchdowns or the passing touchdowns, whatever yeah. of pretty much every player on, you know, my favorite teams and kind of in the league. Um, and back in the middle of my first flip, I had, I had bought this flip and it was renovation. I was doing it all myself and uh, I got cable TV or whatever. And I literally had, had boxed myself into one room first. I had kind of somewhat fixed it up, put a bed in there, a TV in there and like a fridge in there and like that's where I lived because every the whole other house was the rest of the house clearly got it yeah and um and so I had it for like you know it was like a nine month flip and I had it I had cable for like five months and uh and I just came to a point where I was like man like this is dumb like you know if I if I keep watching as much sports as I do like I'm never gonna you know a get this flip done or b do in real estate what I want to do so I end up like completely cutting that out when cold turkey yeah. haven't had cable tv since and that was, uh, man, five years ago or something. Yeah. So, um, I don't really have that many hobbies <laughs> like, I, like I used to, well, uh, yeah. every now and again, I'll get the inkling to go try and golf and then I'll get really frustrated. and like, this is stupid. I'm gonna have to put way too much time in there. And, uh, golf is just the most frustrating sport. Cause there's yeah. like no inkling of, uh, like athleticism involved, you know, like to be good at golf. It's just, there's no athleticism. So, That's um, funny. I wouldn't say I have very many hobbies anymore.
0: No man, your hobbies is, is success and chasing your goals. That's totally fine. So, um, with that in mind, like what is, what is your, why, what's your purpose? What do you, what's motivating you at this point? What are you trying to accomplish?
1: Yeah. So, uh, that, that has changed a lot. Um, but, uh, originally my why was, you know, a lot of money related and and finance uh, related. And I used to read all these books on, you know, um, finances and, and, you know, I, I see a couple of books by Grant Cardone, of course, we talked about it, but like I read almost all of his books, um, read all of Kiyosaki's books and all this stuff. And um, now, you know, and, and of course, um, you know, real estate agent related books and all this stuff, but over the past, uh, six to 12 months, it's kind of formulated just way beyond that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I still read in the, in that industry and listen to podcasts and stuff, but it's just something just way bigger than that. And, um, there was a time period where, It was my family and and my wife and I don't have kids yet, but, um, you know, getting married and family and that's still a big part of it and, and doing some things like that. But it's just, it's way, way, way bigger than that. And, uh, you know, I have some incredible people in my life that I've begun to model my life at. I, I look at where they, you know, they're, they're very successful, um, but they take their ability to make money and they put it into other areas that they're incredibly passionate about. Uh, and it's something that my wife and I have have begun to do. Um, but it's something that I feel like, and it sounds super cheesy, but I feel like it is my life's purpose, uh, because I'm very good at delaying my personal gratification. Uh, I'm very good at, I I don't really need things to make me happy. Um, I don't really have aspirations to, you know, necessarily, um, you know, live a certain way that looks super successful, but I, I'm very good at making money and I'm very good at not re-spending that money because I have no purpose in, you know, in doing that necessarily. I mean, we spend money, but, uh, I just feel like I was put here to be able to funnel money into causes and things that I hold dear to my heart. Uh, and it's something that, you know, this person that I consider, you know, mentor, his, um, his son's my best friend. He, he married my wife and I, um, and he's a big commercial broker, but, uh, he, is one of the most influential people I know. And it's because he takes, uh, not only does he, does he use his own time and resources to just pour into people's lives, but he takes also his money to pour into his community, to pour into causes, uh, to make a huge influence on people around him. And uh, the, the thing that I enjoyed most about him is that the majority of people have no idea that he's even like a, you know a commercial broker and and that he's you know at, actually a, a you know pretty decent big deal uh, yeah. like he he doesn't care if people know that yeah. um, him and his wife just pour into people's lives regardless it doesn't care he, they don't care if they'll ever get a return you know from people or anything like that uh, it's all about people, and so as far as my reading goes and, and I'm still a big reader and listener to podcasts and stuff but I, i've I've gotten away from just reading in, in, you know, finances and success, but change into um, that. And that's become my why, you know, my why has become like, I'm very skilled at delayed gratification. What if I actually take that and make a huge impact on my community? And maybe if I'm lucky, uh, a broader scope than just my own community, maybe uh, a whole, you know, section of causes and ideas and, and promote certain things. And so, um, you know, Bill Gates is somebody that comes to mind, I, I, I study a lot of him, um, and other people that are that are influential, like him that that uh, draw ideas and causes. And, and you can see kind of the um, steps of his life, you know, Microsoft was his whole focus, yeah. and, and he's very shrewd on on getting them the top. And then all of a sudden, he just kind of got bored. And he's like, listen, like, I can't do it. And he had to step out. And so to me, I've had similar thoughts, where whereas like, at one point I was gun ho on this and I still love it. But now I I delegate those areas because it's like, it just doesn't bring me the kind of joy yeah. that I need to. And I still love it. Like property management, it was just, it was becoming a chore. And so I delegate it so I could step off, continue to double down on being an agent and, and serving my customers, but also start to spend more time and focus on some of the causes and ideas and, and formulating my own ideas. Because I always find it fascinating that people seem to like have all these uh, ideas, concrete ideas, like they just know. And they're like, you know, they're in their twenties. Like I am like, man, I'm, I'm twenties, you know, seven and I, I read like crazy and I have no idea what I think about these ideas. And so I just trying to formulate ideas and thoughts and be compassionate and help people. Yeah. And and so that's become really my why of late.
0: Yeah. And that's perfect. Cause I, another question I like to ask is what are some of those ways, if, if you want to share with us, what are some of those ways that you're, you're giving back? I mean, what are some of the the causes I think that you, that, that you're focused on or want to be impactful with?
1: Yeah. So uh, within my community, you know, my wife and I, we, we, we spend some time within there and, and uh, helping, helping kids um, sort of, that came from backgrounds like me. One of the reasons why I'm really geared towards getting back into coaching and, and things like that is because uh, it's a distraction from reality. Yeah. Uh, and, and in some ways that's a bad thing. In some ways it's a good thing for, for just a human experience because uh, we see what happens when, all of our sort of outlets go away, you know, in the last five months. Um, and people need to release some way because there's just a brutal reality to the world. And uh, no matter how much we try, it's always going to be sort of a dog-eat-dog world. And and it's unfortunate, but that's just a reality. And so many kids grow up in, um, you know, situations that are not ideal. Um, you know, like when I was a younger kid, uh, you know, I was very, outspoken and and you know from what people tell me in my own you know experience and i was a very happy kid and then some traumatic events happened and i turned inward and um it was a very tough stretch mm-hmm. in my early teenage years and stuff and um man i was i was this close to falling into all kinds of things drugs um just just the wrong way of life and i would not have been here but yeah. sports and having incredible coaches and teachers and and people that had they probably knew everything that i knew now but they never like you know like you and I could sit here and say, Hey, go save money. But like, they never told me that they told me like, Hey, if you get in there and you delay gratification and you work in August to play in September, like, you know, you work your tail off in, in, in training camp to play in September, yeah. like yeah. you'll succeed. And so those, those, uh, those, you know, thoughts and, and experiences of like, Hey, let's, let's work, 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 work. And we'll reap the reward later you know, enabled me to then grow up and say, well, wait, why am I, you know, working, working, working and spending it on Friday? Like, that's not, de- that's not delaying until September, you know, like I never had that thought, but like, yeah. it's just like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, you know, in, in football, we would always like work, 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 work. And like, keep like saving up all those experiences to then like, you know, release on Friday night or Saturday, you know, afternoon or whatever. And so, you know, pouring into kids lives is something that we, you know, I, I try to spend a lot of time and yeah. I think it's very important because. um there's just, there's so much hurt out there in the world and yeah. it's getting more and more and, uh, broken families and broken homes and, and addiction. And, um, you know, it's just something that I have personally on my heart because I experience a lot of it yeah. and I can relate a lot. And, uh, I meet a lot of kids that you could just tell, you know, you can just tell that there's you know something wrong. And if you can literally not even talk about that situation, but just relate and, uh, you know, and relating something that's fun and, and exciting to them that um, we spend time doing that and uh, hopefully resources and, and uh, hopefully um, can make an impact.
0: That's so cool, man. I love I to hear the different ways people give back and different ideas that people are using to, to give back to the community and, and to impact people's lives around them. So that's awesome. Um, dude, it, it's been awesome. Been a lot of great conversation. I've learned a lot and taken a lot of good notes here. So I appreciate your time there. Uh, t- time here. Um, let's, um, so tell us if, if people want to get in touch with you or follow you or learn more about house hacking, how can they reach out to you? How can they, how can they get to you?
1: Yes. Yeah, so uh, house hacking success is kind of um, the, the community we've formed, my partner and I um, just to kind of advocate, you know, what house hacking can do um, and given some ideas and, and things like that. So, so people can go over there and, and check it out, we have, um, you know, I wrote a little short free book if somebody wanted. Um, it, it's not super special, but it just shows kind of the, uh, what it takes, it shows how you can run some numbers, it shows uh, the different kind of, you know, there's like 10 different kind of financing ways um, that you can go about uh, doing it and you can get creative like I have, I've done a lot of creative financing. Um, and just, you know, finding team members and what the team members are and what you should look for, things like that. So you can get that uh, free if you'd like, you can just go over to that uh, Instagram, Bradley the brief Facebook, Bradley the brief um, house hacking success. You can go on house success.com. We have a lot of resources and things like that. Um, but reach out anytime, you know, uh, ask me any questions. I'm, I'm very passionate about it. I don't always, always have the time to get back to you right away, but uh, eventually you will and um, you know, really any questions at all uh, and resources. And, and one of the coolest things as I'm sure you're familiar with, as you and I become closer and we're, yeah. you know, several States away is, is the fact that we, know people now across the country um, that have similar thoughts and experiences and specifically geared towards house hacking and things like that. So uh, people in different states can reach out and we have a lot of connections um, just from house hackers and, and um, you know agents and lenders and stuff in, in the other areas. So if you need help or uh, things of that nature, reach out to us and we'll see what we can do.
0: That's perfect, man.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll put all that detail in the show notes here. Thank you so much,
0: Brad. Uh, This has been awesome. Thanks for listening on the podcast here. If you, if you, this has been valuable to you, obviously leave a review, um, follow us, uh, the Money Maven Project and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be looking forward to the next episode. So thank you. Appreciate it,
1: man. Thanks for listening to the Money Maven Project Podcast. A true Maven shares knowledge with
0: others. So be sure to share this podcast and leave a review. Thanks so much. And until next time, live life with intention.